Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. This is a, a brand new concept for an episode that Rich and I, since we have uh, the ability, I don't know that we can complete each other's sentences, but this is completely uncharted, uh, emphasis on chart uh, uh, territory. We're going to talk about comparing and contrasting the world of music with the world of sports, and in particular, collecting and the personalities involved in all of that stuff. So I have no idea where it's going, but I know it'll be interesting, and I hope our sponsors like it, which tops Panini and Upper Deck. Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, as well as Compsy.com, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. All the sponsors have at some point or other dealt with something that had to do with music. And so there's a little bit of overlap between the worlds of sports and music. A lot if you consider Damian Lillard, perhaps, who in his off time is doing music. So Rich, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And what comes to your mind when we are talking about music, and sports are music versus sports. There are a lot of people who like both, but well, one thing is, I want to start by talking about an old friend of mine by the name of Mike Gershman. Mike Gershman did the scoreboard baseball card engagement calendars. Right. He did a lot of he did, but he was also a music guy. Yes. Mike Gershman produced one record in his life. It so frustrated him he never produced another song. That song went to number one and is still a classic today. Brandy by the Looking Glass in 1972. <laughs> I, I, I knew him. I, I remember. You know, Mike yeah. passed away yeah. January 1st, 2000. Let's, and I knew him in the 80s, He knew him in the 80s and 90s when he was working the scoreboard. Yeah. yeah. And Mike. And he was doing PR kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Really good guy. Yeah. But there was a lot of us in those days that were, and it was a natural a thing. You were into the oldies music or older music. Right. And you were into the older carts. Or vintage or, as opposed to modern. Yeah. Same thing. Because you would go, he, Mike would always tell me, you'd go to the show, the White Plains shows when Gloria and Dean Rothstein ran them before Jimmy bought them. And CBS FM, which was the best oldie station I ever heard in my life, would be blaring from all of the dealers' tables. Or not all, that's an exaggeration, but you could probably pick up CBS FM everywhere in the room. And that was more of a vintage show. So you could tell a show yeah. by its music. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Uh, and what about music we'd, we'd hear now? You'd hear all sorts of music. You wouldn't hear because music, like everything else, has become so fragmented. Mm -hmm. I don't think you'd hear that. I know that I have a couple friends of mine who sometimes bring, we'll call them boom boxes to, yeah. to my shows when I've had them. And they'll just play the 80s, the 90s music yeah. just because it's more appropriate for the audience that's coming today. But there's a lot of us. Our, our mutual friend Bill Zimpleman owned a record store at that's one right. point. Yeah. And Bill still puts oldies on his Facebook page. And there was a dealer, oh, four or five years ago, there was some dealer, and he was doing a oldie show on some independent radio station in Colorado. No, it's not Mike Fruitman. And he had a couple air checks with him, and I told Bill about that. And Bill says, I never knew that. I knew the guy 30 years, and I never knew that. <laughs> so there's a lot of this music and sports cards marriage of for many years, which doesn't quite exist the same way today. But for people, we'll say, of our generation, it did exist. You mentioned uh, Michael Gershman's uh, one-hit wonder. We've got one-hit wonders in sports, that, that one shining moment that somebody has, and it's emblazoned in memory. Even though you only had one shot or one hit, it was one hit that you'll never forget. Look, in 19, the 1980, uh, so it's the 88 Super Bowl, I believe it was, when Timmy Smith ran for 205 yards. Uh, two years later, he's out of the NFL, but he, he hadn't played a lot during the regular season, so all of a sudden, he, his legs are fresh. 
and everybody else is tired, and he goes running, and you think he's a future. One in wonder, one, one, run, one, one, one game. One game wonder, and that happens, and sometimes it's... But it hadn't translated to his cards, although he, had, he barely He has an 88 cards. top strip, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there are other guys that have one really big moment, but their cards are valuable for or popular for more than that. You've got Joe Carter with World Series hitting Homer. You've yeah. got Bill Mazeroski ending a World Series with a Homer. Mazeroski may be the greatest or among the greatest defensive second baseman of all time, but I guarantee you, if you bring the words Bill Mazeroski to a baseball fan, they first go, thought, first, first thought, 1960 World Series. And, I, and I've said, I know where I was. Okay, in in music, you have this, it's not necessarily a battle, or but there's some tension between the artist and the label, the the producers, as opposed to the performers. And I'm just wondering, is that similar to baseball, where you've got the players and the owners, that each one is a gatekeeper of sorts, and each one has a financial stake, it seems like one needs the other. In music, is it not so much though now? It's still a lot in music because, but a lot, of, but it's like everything else. The musicians, for a large part, have gotten savvier in their business dealings. The guys in the fifties and sixties, for the most part, for the most part, did not run it as businesses. They would get a big hit, maybe cobble an album or two together, and then all of a sudden they'd end up going back to their normal lives. You don't well, sing. Some, but you, you don't they have agents though. Some and some have well-managed well. careers that that strung out album after album, because they had a distinctive voice or sound. And there are others that have that one big hit single, as you say, the one hit wonder, and they disappear and never be heard from again. And they reunite for old, the oldie, Richard Nader's oldies co concerts. And one of the things is, I don't know if you attended that show, but Al Rosen ran a show, I believe it was at the Felt Forum at Madison Square Garden, which was a monster show. And all the, all, a lot of these Wall Street executives that would get off the train, stop at the show, bought these cards. Could you imagine what today if you ran a show there? And you brought well, your greatest cards. Were you there? I was there. I was there too. Uh, uh, Reggie Jackson was there. Yes. Okay. So I met Reggie and it was, it was underwhelming in one sense and overwhelming in another. That was pre-strike, right? When that, that was 1988. But oh. do you remember who Alan's co-promoter was on that show? Uh, a DJ? Sort of. Richard Nader. Who yeah. ran the oldie shows? Richard Nader was a monster yeah. promoter. He knew how to promote. Plus, he, that was eighty-eight. That was eighty-eight, maybe eighty-nine, but I think it was eighty-eight. Um, okay. That was eighty-eight that Al had the show there. Okay, and that's yeah. But the point was, it was still another marriage of yeah. cards and music. And music. And Richard Nader did an amazing job. He had all the radio contacts. He had all the media contacts. So is he the Scott Boris of the music industry? Probably. Richard is no longer with us either. But Richard did a great job. Richard ran these oldie shows, and he would bring back the artists. In fact, he even got, in 1972, Dion and the Belmonts to reunite. Now, if you're old like we are, you remember Dion and the Belmonts. Right. Today, somebody would say, what the heck is a Dion and the Belmont? <laughs> but it was a big thing for them to reunite after like more than a decade of not being together. Do you see that the medium matters? That when I was in high school, it was eight tracks, and then it was cassettes, and before that, it was records, vinyl, and then you've got uh, CDs, and now pretty much everything is streamed. It seemed like is our sports cards going that same path? I think so. More and more virtual. I think so. For some reason, and, though, the e cards have not taken off the way virtual. You want to have the physical card. You want to have it graded. You're not getting the Mike Trout card sold for a million dollars. On a virtual level, it's a real card that's graded by a real by Beckett. It's I think it's a BGS nine with a ten autograph of the of some two thousand and nine really tough autograph of Mike Trout, and that off oh, that's actually going on as we speak. And but for music, you for have, music, you, you have repeatable, recordable 
duplicatable experience. In other words, if, if I have a, a CD or I stream something, I could share it with you. I can't really share my child rookie card unless right. I physically give it to you. I can't make another copy of it no. without being a, a counterfeiter. But that's one of the but good music but, you can. But to talk about where I work, ComC, in a way you can build your own virtual, with the way ComC is very good about sharing any card they've ever had with the images, you can build a virtual museum. Of baseball cards, right. and that can be shared with anybody. Right. You're going to see a ComC watermark. You see a ComC watermark, but you could still see the essence of the card and get the enjoyment of this is what that card looks like. Exactly, so, just like music, except that in music the copy is just as good, yes. or, or imperceptibly not as good. There may be some very slight degradation, but if you well, start with a good copy or, or good whatever, I format, love listening to old radio air checks. And actually, this morning I was listening to air checks from Detroit from 1970. And the music sounded just as good as it was when I was 10 years old in 1970. Okay, I'm going to give you some free association, Rich. Okay. Who's the equivalent of Mickey Mantle in the music industry? Elvis. That's what I was going to say. That's exactly what I had. But if you think about it, the era is the same. I know. You you, you saw my notes. No, I don't see your notes. Okay, how about Bruce Springsteen? Go the other way. Bruce the boss. Springsteen. Yes. Okay, Bruce is still around. He's good. Been around since the 70s. Been a big superstar. Hmm. I was thinking Mike Schmidt, but he's not big enough. No, Mike Schmidt was terrific. Nolan Ryan. Nolan. Okay, I'll, I'll accept that. Frank Sinatra. Babe Ruth. That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. Frank Sinatra is the ultimate crooner. The uh, he lasted forever. Okay. He had a career that literally lasted almost sixty years. Okay. And he's as popular now as he almost as popular now as he was when he was living. Okay. Pete Rose. Michael Jackson. That's what I had. I, I promise everybody. I, oh, I should have done a secret envelope. I promise I did not look at any of his I notes. I can't believe this. Both are a little bit controversial. Now, the Michael Jackson, Pete Rose thing is, can you imagine Michael Jackson not being in the Rock and Roll or any other music hall of fame? He was a musical genius. No, Pete you know, Rose, based on his on-field performance. But both those guys had some question. I of, think one of the differences, there's no morals clause for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Otherwise, Otherwise, no one would be in it. Well, not uh, maybe Pat Boone, <laughs> but even then. You, hey, Pat uh, Boone's a good Columbia uh, boy. Yeah, okay. Okay, I got another one for you. Okay, uh, Freddie Mercury. If you guess what I have. Uh, there's no way I'm going to guess what you have, but Freddie Mercury, somebody whose influence has continued way past what you think he sh it should have been. I'm going to go a little different. This will not be anywhere near your notes, but Freddie Mercury, we'll just make it another fast guy. We'll call him... Lou Brock. I had Barry Bonds. Okay. And I was thinking about Mel Queen, but not. <laughs> um, oh, good one. Yeah. Jackie Robinson. Ray Charles. Stevie Wonder? I, was, I said Ray Charles more because he's a trailblazer. Okay. Stevie Wonder would not be a bad choice, but Jackie's a trailblazer. So you have to have some... I could even argue Chuck Berry for Jackie Robinson. Okay. I saw Chuck Berry. In person. Chuck Berry, Chuck Berry was lived until he was 90 years old. Yeah, he was only, playing almost until a year or two before he passed. He was the opening act for the Rolling Stones at Moody Coliseum back in the 60s. Okay, it's a group question. We're running okay. a little low on time here. I do remember that when we had our Beckett Publications Music Trivia Contest, I'm pretty sure you won. I'm sure I did. But I was in the running yes. until we got up to the decade of the 90s, yes. in which I fell hopelessly behind. In the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, you I, were was, right there with I me. was right there with you. And then all of a sudden they went and I went, what? I've never heard this song before. And Rich is you know, hitting the buzzer and uh, doing it. Okay. This is a group question. This is the final question. Okay. If you get this, it's just the Beatles. 
27 Yankees. That's a partially correct answer. Basically, I was going to say, look at the painting. It's the Yankee fantasy. Yes. I was going to have the four guys, yes. John, Paul, George, and Ringo are, are Babe, Lou, and it's, we're in, in the same room with that, and Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle. So, yes. gosh, Rich, we're, we're just, we're too much alike on this. Okay. Ben Crosby. And you probably know the trivia thing that I'm going to connect. Oh, he owned the Pirates. He owned, was it? And Bob Hope owned part of the Cleveland Indians. So Bing Crosby, I was going to try to find a way to get Roberto Clemente. Well, there you go. Because I think Bing Crosby was... He was a part owner when Clemente was on the team. Just in the early years. So there you go. We got Clemente in. Got Clemente into another episode, another positive, let's see, Tony Bennett, for, in deference to my mom and dad. Oh, what a great (laughs) entertainer. Yeah. Tony, let's make him Ricky Henderson. Because he he left his heart in San Francisco. He left his heart in San Francisco (laughs) and he also... Or in Oakland. And he played forever. And he played forever. And uh, you could also say Minnie knows, but I think Ricky Henderson's better because Ricky Henderson yeah. played at a high level. I for... like that. I like that. Okay, one more. Okay, <laughs> Buddy Holly, and I think you're going to figure this out. I'll probably go somewhere you don't, but Buddy Holly was a rock and roll icon who passed way too soon in that plane crash. So my first thought about people who passing too soon in plane crash is Kenny Hubbs. No. Okay. Thurman Munson. Okay, I'll buy that. <laughs> okay. I finally, that's an excellent choice, but Thurman Mun- Kenny Hubbs would be a little bit closer to the Buddy Holly yeah. death from whatever that was, 57 yeah. to 64. Buddy maybe. Holly's 59 and Kenny Hubbs is 64, and they're yeah. both February. And Thurman and both Munson in, is uh, 79. 79. August 2nd, 79, and they're both... And, yeah. when they're both, and both Buddy Holly and Kenny Hubbs are in a plane in a snowstorm. And Yeah. That's a sad note, but again, thanks, Rich, for going down memory lane for next time I go to the show, I'm going to listen to see what dealers are listening to. And you can sometimes judge people's age by what uh, music they listen to. On the other hand, there's people that are uh, younger, that are uh, not old enough to really have heard the original music, but it's still around. So there's some great hits. And uh, thanks, Rich, for another walk down memory lane. Uh, for you that enjoy the hobby, music and sports are not mutually exclusive. They, they can and frequently are enjoyed together. So thanks again. See you tomorrow. The man in the house of God.